series, and I don't know what you call it, God's a good God, freedom from religion, killing sacred cows or something. But I've just started with the premise that we all say God is a good God. We say that God loves us, that God is faithful. But then so many of the doctrines we have, according to Mark chapter 7, verse 13, just make the word of none effect. They void it. And so I've started going through, and we've already covered four of these things. I've talked against uh, wrong interpretation, wrong presentation of the sovereignty of God, that God controls everything. That is a faith killer. That kills the goodness of God. If you think that God is responsible for all of the terrible things, the mayhem that's going on in the world, God is a good God, and only good and perfect gifts come from Him. So we talked about that. And then I talked about the difference between the old and the new covenant. A lack of understanding that we are delivered from the old covenant. Or I guess the way to say that is that uh, putting forth the old covenant for new covenant believers is a religious tradition that takes away the power of the word and keeps us from understanding this. Because the Old Testament law worked wrath. Romans chapter 4 verse 15. Then last night I talked about how that it's uh, only by grace through faith that we receive from God. So I countered the wrong teaching about faith, that faith moves God, that faith makes God do things. And, And see, that puts us to where God is responding to us. True faith is us responding to God's grace, what He's already done. A lack of understanding that is another thing that just totally... Uh, voids all of the goodness of God. It makes people smug and proud. Like it says over in Romans chapter 3, I didn't use this verse, but I believe it's verse 27. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. People who are proud about what they've done and about how they made God do this and they grab told to God and look what my faith did and look how I made this happen. Those are people that don't understand that God provides everything by grace. And all faith does is reach out and take what God has already given us. This morning, I talked against this concept that every time you sin as a Christian, it somehow or another removes you from God and puts you back out of fellowship with God. And you've got to get it confessed and that sin under the blood. And you know, there are so many questions. If you've listened to what I've said, you should have a million questions. And I'm not going to go take time to do all of that. I I refer you to books. We've sold out of all of the teaching on the true nature of God, but that would deal with what I talked about Friday morning. We talked about uh, last night, Grace and Faith. I've got a book on that and teaching on that. This morning, uh, there's a number of teachings I have that would deal with that eternal redemption. Uh, Spirit, soul, and body is one of the teachings that I've got that would explain things. If you've got any questions, please go into those things. All I'm doing is hitting some of the main points. I'm not going into total explanation. I've got other series that do that. What I want to talk about tonight is kind of a logical progression of all of the things that I've been talking about. And I want to talk about how God has given us the authority over things. And one of the religious traditions that is hindering us from understanding the goodness of God is people don't take their own authority. I had a woman before the service, she didn't know what I was going to be talking about, but she gave me a testimony. I won't go through the whole thing, but she saw this demonic power or symbolized demonic power coming in and trying to hurt a person. And so she started wrestling with them and she started saying, uh, I forget the exact wording, but it was something like, Jesus, help me. And the person would just grow stronger and it would get worse. And finally, the Lord spoke to her and he says, take your authority. And she says, well, I've already called on your name and it's getting stronger. And finally, she realized she needed to stand and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And when she did that, this person turned to mush amen, and was able to defeat him. And that really is a word picture about what's happening. People are calling on the Lord, but they're calling on the Lord out of fear. They don't understand their authority and they are asking God to rebuke the devil. They're asking God to heal them when that's not what the scripture tells you to do. God has already done his part. He's now given you the power and it's up to you to take the healing power of God and heal. 
And again, that's really offensive. I know some people just immediately the hair on the back of your neck raised up when I said that, like, you can't heal a gnat. Well, I in myself can't heal a gnat. People will quote scriptures like John chapter 15, where it says, without me, you can do nothing. I agree with that 100%. Without Jesus, I can do nothing. I am nothing and I have nothing without Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not without Jesus. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And therefore, it's incorrect just to sit here and say, I'm a worm and I can't do anything and I'm powerless. And oh God, would you please do something? That's denying what's happened to you at the new birth. You aren't taking what God has given you. And the, the way that people are approaching uh, their problems like, oh God, we're just powerless. There's nothing we can do. Would you please move? You're going to die with that kind of an attitude. That will not release the power of God. That is a tradition and doctrine of man that totally voids the power of God in your life. Let me just take a passage out of uh, Mark chapter 11 to share this with you and to illustrate what I'm talking about. This is where Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem right at the end of his ministry. He was hungry. He went up to a fig tree and the fig tree didn't have any figs and he got angry at it and cursed it. This is an interesting passage of scripture. And so in verse, this is Mark chapter 11 and in verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came if happily he might find uh, anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And the next verse says that he answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. You know, this used to really intrigue me about why Jesus cursed this fig tree if it wasn't time for figs. It says it wasn't time for figs. So why did he get upset with the fig tree? It wasn't time for it to have figs. But you know what? It wasn't time for it to have leaves either. A fig tree produces leaves and figs about the same time. So even though it wasn't time for figs, it wasn't time for leaves. For this tree to have leaves but not figs meant it was a hypocrite. It professed something that it didn't possess. It was a pervert. And you got to remember, Jesus is the one that created everything and told it how to operate. He told fig trees to produce figs and leaves about the same time. And this fig tree was a pervert. It was not doing things the way that the Lord told it to. And so he had every right to kill that tree because it was not doing what he told it to do. So that answered a question for me. And notice, he didn't touch it. He didn't put salt on it. He didn't cut it down. He spoke to it. He just talked to it and said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And it says, it makes special notice that his disciples heard it. And it talks about how they went into the temple and this is the second time Jesus made uh, a whip and drove the money changers out. He did it at the very first time he was in Jerusalem. He did it his last time in Jerusalem. And so he drove them out. And then it says they went back to Bethany, which implies that they went the same way. They probably passed the same fig tree and the disciples didn't say anything. But then... If you go on down into verse um, 20, it says, And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So here it is 24 hours later, and now the fig tree is dried up. And if you read this same account over in Matthew's gospel, I think, I'm not sure where it is. I think it's Matthew 26. But anyway, if you read this in Matthew's account, it says, Anon the fig tree dried up. And the word anon means immediately. So Matthew says that when the Lord spoke to it, immediately the fig tree died. In Mark's account here, it says that he spoke to it. His disciples listened to what he said, but it was the next day before they saw the results. And the key to it, it says that they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. The way you harmonize those two passages of scriptures is that the moment Jesus spoke to this fig tree, boom, it was instantly dead. The roots, it was dead. That fig tree was over the moment he spoke to it, but that happened in the roots 
And it took about 24 hours for the death that had taken place in the roots to come and be manifest in the fig tree. It's like when you cut off a rose. The moment you cut a rose off, that thing's dead. It's not going to live. But you can put it in water and you can put sugar in the water and you can make it last for a week or two or something like that. But it's dead. It's not living. It's dead the moment you sever it from its source. And so that fig tree was dead immediately, but it took about 24 hours for what God had done to become visible. And boy, there is a great lesson in this. Did you know when you speak and release the healing power of God, it sometimes takes a period of time for what has taken place in your spirit to manifest itself into your physical body. And this is where a lot of people miss the miraculous power of God is because they just think that with God, there's no such thing as time or distance or space. And if God won't, if God healed me, well, then instantly I'd be healed. You know, I could get plumb off the subject and teach about Daniel and show you in Daniel chapter nine and chapter 10, that from the time God moved one time, it took three minutes for what God had already done to come to pass. The next time it took three weeks, but God moved instantly. There is... You know, I know this is going to rub somebody's religion the wrong way, but this is one of the great benefits of not being a theologian. I don't have a set of beliefs over here that I've ascribed to, and I go to the Word and try and make the Word fit my beliefs. I just believe the Word, and if it says it, that's fine with me, and I don't care if it rubs all of religion or theology wrong. I know that there's people that say... There's no such thing as time or distance with God. I'm telling you, in Daniel chapter 10, God gave a command and it was three weeks before there was any visible proof of it. And God moved instantly, but Satan hindered it and it took time. And there is such a thing as time. There are times that God speaks. He spoke to this fig tree and it was 24 hours before there was any visible physical evidence of what had happened. But it did happen instantly. It just took a period of time for it to become manifest. God can heal you and sometimes it takes a period of time before what has happened in your spirit fully manifests itself in your flesh. And if you are so simplistic that you just think, well, if God wanted to, I'd instantly be healed, then you're going to miss God because you'll get in unbelief. You know, if you take a pill, you, you give a pill an hour or two. You go to the doctor and you let the doctor treat you and do things. And somebody, I talked to one woman that has been 20 years she's been sick. And the doctors have been working on her and she's still going to them. But when it comes to God, well, if God wanted to, I'd instantly be normal. Not necessarily. There's a lot of things. Sometimes, you know, there's two different ways of receiving from God. You can receive a miracle where you just are instantly restored and your limb grows out or whatever. Those are great, but you know what? I haven't yet figured out how to control a miracle. You can't get a handle on a miracle. Those are kind of hard to come by and they just happen. I I haven't figured it out yet. But you know what? Another way to receive is by faith. And faith has laws that it governed by and you can make things happen. But when you get healed by faith, what you do is you rebuke the sickness or the disease. Like if you have cancer, you speak and you command the cancer to die and cancer dies and it's dead. But then your body is just going to heal. Your body has to recover. You lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Both of those are valid ways. Miracles are hard to come by and unpredictable and you can't always guarantee how it's going to work, but I can guarantee you anybody who will take faith and begin to start working in it and speak the word of God, you can get healed of anything. You can get your blind eyes open, your deaf ears open. You can be healed of cancer. Anything can happen by faith. All things are possible to him that believes. But if you are one of those that thinks, well, if God really moved, then I'd be instantly healed. You aren't going to be operating in faith. You're going to have unbelief and confusion about why hasn't my body responded. That's good. So anyway, the disciples saw this and they, and they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and Peter calling to remembrance saith unto them, Master, behold the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And we don't have the benefit of hearing how he said this. We just have the words. But I don't believe that Peter said, Master, behold the fig tree. Is withered away. I believe it was more like, Master, the fig tree, look at the fig tree. I believe he was just overwhelmed. He was shocked, like, look at this. 
You didn't touch that thing. You didn't put an ax to it. You just talked to this fig tree and here it is 24 hours later and this fig tree is totally dead. He was shocked like, wow. And we don't have the benefit of hearing Jesus inflection either. I don't believe he just said, have faith in God. I believe it was like, guys, what's wrong with you? Have some faith in God. Amen. What's wrong with you? Why don't you guys believe anything? I've been spending three years with you and you're just about as dull as the first day. Amen. Watch, I'm about to leave. I'm about to turn this over to you guys. And you still are saying, duh. That's why they were called duh disciples. Amen. <laughs> So Jesus said, have faith in God. And then he taught this great lesson right here in the 23rd verse. He says, for verily I say unto you. You know, anytime that the Lord has to say, now truly, I'm telling you the truth. Everything Jesus said was the truth. But when he started it with, I'm telling you the truth, he had to, when he prefaced his statement with that, it's because he knew this was going to be hard for them to swallow. And they are going to think, could this possibly be true? So before they even asked it, he says, now look guys, this is the truth. Verily, I'm saying unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Three times in this verse, he says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So he's telling about how did this miracle happen? And in the process of revealing how faith in God works and how miracle happened, he starts talking about the words that you say, whosoever will say unto this mountain, and you know, again, I could unplug right here and I could preach for two or three days about the importance of words and things like this. I'm not going to take that much time, but you need to study this until you get convinced that one of the things that made us in God's likeness is that we have the ability to speak. Speech is powerful. Words are powerful. We lose sight of that because we live in a society today that words mean nothing. And we're being bombarded with millions of words every day. And people, you know, today, it used to be that if you said something, your word was your bond. The scripture says that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and not change. But today, people will sit there and they'll lie. I did not have sex with that woman. Just an out and out lie. They just lie. The highest office in the land. One time I was talking to my kids and they lied. And I said, you know where liars go? And they said, to the White House. <laughs> they said <laughs> Because of that, people have gotten to where words don't mean much. And even if you have a contract, if you have a good lawyer, it doesn't mean anything. And so we just don't understand the importance of words. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. Let me just read this passage to you. Proverbs chapter 18, in verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Notice the terminology in the word picture. A man's belly will be satisfied with the fruit of your lip. That's giving a word picture that every word that comes out of your mouth is like a seed. Every word that comes out is going to germinate and produce something and eventually you're going to eat it and your belly is going to be full of the words that you've said. And of course, most of you sitting right here, oh, that's not true. It is true. It is true. And whether you like it or not, your life is full of the fruit that you've been speaking. There are some of you, nothing ever works for me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. Did you all sing that song when you were a kid? I was over in England saying this and over in England they used to sing the same song. 
You know what? When you get that way and everybody's mad at me and nothing ever works for me, if I wash my car, I know it's going to rain. You know what that is? You're cursing yourself. Nothing ever works for me. Everybody could win, but not me. Seems like if anybody gets sick, I'm always the first one to get sick. Nobody pay. You know what? Every time you say something like that, you're spitting a seed out of your mouth that's going to produce fruit that you're going to eat. Here's some of you. It runs in my family. We've had this problem for generations. I guess I'm expected to have heart problems. You just spit some seeds that you're going to eat. You are reaping the fruit of what you say. That's what it says. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his lips and with the increase of his mouth shall he be satisfied. You are reaping what you have spoken. And the fact that you don't know it and that you haven't believed it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It just means in a sense that it's even more deadly because you aren't even aware of where the problem is. You think the problem is everybody else and the problem is you. It says over in Matthew chapter 6, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we be clothed with? The way you take a thought, you know, Kenneth Copeland used to, I mean, Kenneth uh, Hagen used to say that you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from stopping and building a nest in your hair. You can't keep random thoughts from coming because we live in a corrupted world, but you know how you keep those thoughts from entering into you and becoming yours? Take no thought saying. It's when you begin to say those thoughts is when they begin to have power. Don't say them. Your words are important. If you are going to see the results that Jesus talked about, then you've got to start understanding that faith is released by words. God said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let us make man in our image. He said, let us, let the earth bring forth uh, dry ground. He spoke everything into existence. This whole physical world, your body, demons, everything that exists was created by words. Words are the parent, parent force. And words are the strongest thing in the universe. You know, it's my own personal opinion based on what I'm saying right here. I can't prove this to you, but if you talk about a plane crash, like they just had that plane crash, you know, and 50 people were dead. You know, it seems like it seems to go in, in groups. They go in cycles where I think they said it had been two years since there had been a plane crash where people died and things like that. I hesitate to even say this, but I'm trying to make an illustration that you know what, it, it, you can go years with nothing happening and then something will happen and boom, 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 there'll be two or three tragedies. And you know one of the reasons for it is because people all over the nations get to talking about it and talking about, oh man, airplane travel is bad and they go to cursing and speaking negative and you know what, it empowers and releases things. And I know that there are some of you thinking, oh man, you are in, you are in la-la land. My words don't have anything to do with that. Yes, they do. It says over in the third chapter of the book of James that the tongue is a world of iniquity and it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Talking about your tongue. It says with the tongue, we put a bit in a horse's mouth and we turn about their whole body. Your tongue can turn about your whole body. Instead of sitting there and saying, oh man, I feel bad. Somebody says, how are you doing? And then they, they're sorry they asked because you're going to just dump on them. You're going to tell them what the doctor said. You're going to tell them every hurt and pain and you're going to speak forth every negative thing that you can think of. And then you wonder, why am I always sick? It's because you always say what you have instead of having what you say. There's a difference. But that's how I feel. You don't understand the power of your tongue. You can change your existence by your words. I'm not sitting about there lying and saying, well, all right, I really am sick, but I'll say I'm healed in the name of Jesus. That's, that's a being a hypocrite. But you know what? You can say, all right, I've got a problem, but, but God's healing power is in my body and I am not, this is not the last report. It's not the end of the thing. Jesus didn't want to confess that Lazarus was dead. He said Lazarus is asleep because he knew the power of words and he knew it would cause fear in people and to carnal people, death is the end of it. And so he didn't want that. And so he said Lazarus is asleep. 
But when the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, then he'll, he'll be getting better. Be a good thing for him to take a nap. So finally he said, Lazarus is dead, but I am glad for your sake that I wasn't there to the intent that you might believe. In other words, he didn't want to speak a negative because of the negative unbelief that it would cause. But when people misunderstood him, he finally said, all right, Lazarus is dead, but, and then he countered it and spoke a positive truth that countered the negative thing. I wouldn't suggest that you just talk about your problems, but if somebody's going to misunderstand what you say, you can tell them the truth, but make sure you go, but God is going to set me free, but I have the healing power of God. So you can say that you have a problem, but just get your butt in the right place. Amen. (laughs) Instead of saying, well, I know that the Bible says I'm healed, but I feel sick. No, say, well, I may feel sick, but I know that God has healed me. Amen. So just make sure you say it in the right way. So in verse 21, look at this. This is Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life. Notice it didn't say death and life and just a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter and it's powerless and, it, and it's just stuff that doesn't amount for anything. It didn't say that. You either are speaking death or life. And here's another great truth. Every word you hear is also death or life. When you are listening to the radio and listening to your favorite music, you may like the tune, but if they're singing about falling off the bar stool and committing adultery and lusting after this thing, wearing the tight pants and getting drunk and doing all of this stuff, death is coming out and you are letting other people speak death into your life. Every word. When you listen to the news, did you know that most of the news, I know some of you are going to think I'm way exaggerating this, but this is a firm. I believe most of the news is an absolute lie. It's a perversion. This is not the economic problem that people are, are making it to be. It's a lie. It's a deception. There are some problems, but it's a necessary correction because people were doing absolutely stupid, childish, foolish things that need to correct. But you know what? The average person is not suffering. It, it's being misstated. And it's being exaggerated. For instance, at the Super Bowl, $800 for the peon tickets. And it was full. A hundred dollars to park your car. And it was full. There is not a shortage of money. People are operating in fear. A lot of these people that are laying off are anticipating problems because everybody's talking bad and it's producing fear and stuff. But you know what? It, it is not as bad as what people say. Most of what you're hearing is an absolute lie. You know, in 2005, I was in Scotland when they had the bird flu and they started killing poultry in Scotland and England and they would pile the birds up as high as this ceiling and burn them and you could see the smoke going up. We were also over there when the mad cow disease came out and people lost their entire herds and it was just a terrible situation. And anyway, I remember watching the news, BBC News in Scotland in October of 2005 and they were asking the leading expert in the, B, in the British healthcare. And they said, is this ever going to mutate into a strand that could infect humans and become a pandemic? And he said, without a doubt. And they said, you mean you're saying that it will happen? He said, it's not a doubt. It's not a matter of if it will happen. It's just a matter of when it will happen. It will happen. And he says... It might be one year or two years at the most, but within two years, one third of the world population will die from avian flu. That was October 2005. In October of 2007, I was back in England and I read in the paper and there were a total of 12 human cases of death from avian flu worldwide and most of them were over in China. Now, it's sad that anybody died from it. But did you know what? Twelve people dying is not a pandemic. 
It's not one third. It's not 2.2 billion people dead. And yet that was spoken by the leading health expert in Britain. If it was up to me, I'd strung him up from the highest skyscraper for everybody to see and have painted something on him and have done something. That just, he needed to be punished for that. And people say, oh, well, that's just wisdom. You just present the worst case scenario. He didn't say this is worst case. He says, I can guarantee this is going to happen. And did you know people lost their poultry? There were friends of mine that went out of their business, lost everything that they had. There was people that their business collapsed. They do the same thing with hurricanes. You know, they, they have been predicting since Rita, I guess, I forget all of the details of this, but anyway, for the last two or three years, there's a guy in Boulder, Colorado with the National Weather Service, and he has been predicting that since Rita, that the hurricanes, I think the next year he predicted 27 named hurricanes, and the majority of them would be category four or larger, and it was going to be the worst hurricane season in the history. Did you know that there was like three named hurricanes, only one hit the United States, and it had minimal damage? And yet he didn't say, this is just my prediction. He said, no, this, it will be. And you know what? Insurance rates went through the roof. Some of you probably got affected by that here in Houston. And some of you suffered and people lost their insurance because they couldn't pay the high premiums because people were up there pronouncing prophecies as if it was news and people listening to it and fear coming on them. And for the next two or three years, they predicted the worst seasons that ever happened. And it hasn't been the worst. They're wrong. Most of what they're saying is wrong. They're, 90% of what's on the news is wrong. Thank you for both of those. That's right. And I'm telling you, if what I'm saying is true, and I believe it's true, I'm more accurate than they're accurate. Then you know what? You are, every word has death or life in it. You are listening to systematic bias, prejudice, indoctrination. It's lies. It's deceptions. We got a news media that'll twist anything and you're listening to it. And you know what? Death is being spoken. Death is being spoken and death is, it's not only the words you speak. It's every word that you hear, whether it's entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's news, whether it's the books that you read, Every word is either life or death, not a group of nothingness in between that doesn't count. If we just believe that one point, this would radically change your life. And yet the average person in here is so plugged into our culture and you love this culture and you like this culture and you get so entertained and amused by it that doesn't matter how much I show you from the Word of God. You don't care. You'll still do what you've done. And death will be sown in your life. And then you'll wonder about why things are happening. Jesus is telling you how he operated in this. It's because words were important to him. He didn't listen to unbelief. He didn't let people speak unbelief around him. He countered it. When one of his own disciples, he said that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me. And they will uh, put me in the grave, but I'm going to rise the third day. And Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. It'll never happen. We'll protect you. Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan, for you savor not the things of God. He recognized that that wasn't just Peter talking. That was the devil talking through one of Jesus' disciples. And even though Jesus loved Peter, and just in that same chapter, 16th chapter of Matthew, he had said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. He loved Peter and said that confession was of God. And yet just a few minutes later, he turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Boy, if you don't understand what I'm saying and you think, oh, this is just people talking. It doesn't mean anything. No, death and life are in the power of your words. And not only every word you speak, but every word that you hear. And if you aren't aware of that, you are being systematically poisoned. And then you wonder, why are things going the way that they're going? I'm telling you, this is how it works. It says over in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. It says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then it says, And every tongue that rises against you. You know that the tongue is the biggest weapon. 
Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. If you don't condemn it, then that weapon has power. But if you do condemn it, then it doesn't have power. And you know, because of that, I don't listen to a lot of stuff, but you know, I'm still exposed to more than what I'd like to be exposed to. And I, you can ask Jamie when we're driving down the road and they'll say something about it's flu season. Have you gotten your flu shot? That's a word of death. Bible doesn't teach that there's a certain season that the word doesn't work or when they say it's allergy season and they're advertising their product. Man, I don't let those words come to my ears without saying it's not allergy season for me. I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm doing? I'm condemning those words. I'm negating those words right then. I don't sit there and let people advertise sickness and disease and talk about, well, you're getting old, you're over 40. Now you should start expecting to have heart problems or this or that. Boy, if people start saying things like that, I'll stand up. No, in the name of Jesus. And some of you think, oh, you're a little fanatical. You're, you're weird. I think you're weird. I'm condemning words. Words have power. And when I hear words contrary to what the word of God says, I, I condemn them. I judge them. I say, no. And you know, because of that, I don't have to later pray them off of me. Those of you that just swallow all of this unbelief and all of these ads about sickness, I get so fed up seeing ads. Somebody's got a headache. And so they tell you, take this. And then they say, now the side effects could be that you might die. You could have a heart attack. You could have increased risk of high blood pressure. You're going to be impotent, this, this. You're going to have runny stools and often bowel movements. And I think, my God, give me back the headache. Amen. Why in the world would you listen to somebody speak this death over you? Brothers and sisters, that stuff's terrible. And yet most of us have just heard it so much we don't even think about it. Sometimes you leave the television on just so that you can have this death flowing through your house. So that it won't be quiet. You just like the sound of death. Mercy, mercy. God have mercy on our ignorance. So Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. And notice this. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall, now listen to this, shall believe that those things which he says will come to pass, then he will have whatsoever he says. You have to believe that your words come to pass. And you know what? If you don't understand what I've been talking about, if you don't put an importance on words, if you just say words that you don't mean it, then you know what? Every time you do that, you're confusing your heart. You're teaching your heart that I don't mean what I say. I just talk a lot of times. I say things off the top of my head. I don't mean, I, don't, I hadn't thought it out. I, I don't know what I'm saying. I just, I just said that. I didn't mean anything by it. If that's the way you are, then all of a sudden you need a miracle and you say, cancer in the name of Jesus. Go, your heart doesn't know. Do you believe this? Is this one of those that you're going to believe or is this like the millions of words that you speak every week that don't mean a thing? And you know what? Your heart won't believe it. We sit there and we listen to junk. We say wrong things. You say stupid things. You sing songs that you don't believe. And you know what it does? It confuses you. There's a book out entitled Who Switched Off My Brain? And it's by a Christian lady, but she wrote it from a doctor standpoint. She's a medical doctor. And anyway, this is the long and the short of this book. This book basically says that your brain is in touch with every cell in your body, billions with a B times every day. Every day there is constant communication between your brain and every cell in your body. And... Every cell in your body has what's called receptors on it. And these receptors, they say, are like a lock. It's like a combination lock. And if it's a healthy cell, then you have radical cells in your body. You've heard the term free radicals. 
Everybody has radical cells, cancer cells in your body. But if your body is healthy, the cancer can't get into those cells because it can't get past that lock. But if you have what she's calling toxic thoughts or negative thoughts or thoughts of, oh man, I, I, I hope I never get cancer because cancer is incurable. Those are words of death. If you say something like that, your mind communicates that to every cell in your body a billion times a day and it changes the receptors so that radical cells can get in there because you said it. And this is what the medical profession is saying. They're saying that the body controls the way every cell functions and cancer and infections and a host of other things are nothing but cells gone awry because of the words and the thoughts that you speak. That's a medical doctor saying that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly death and life are in the power of the tongue. You're, you're hung by your tongue. You're killing yourself with the words that you speak and the, neg- and the words that you hear that you don't condemn and you don't judge and we're just allowing unbelief to be planted. And then all of a sudden, in the name of Jesus, I'm healed. You know what? That one phrase isn't going to counter the millions of phrases that you've said and heard that were contrary. You have trained your heart to disbelieve. Some of you think, well, I've watched programs that I I don't agree with it. I just watch it. It's just a television program. You know what? Your heart doesn't know that. Just whatever you hear, death and life are in those words and it's going to start producing fruit. If you are going to reach the place that Jesus talked about, that you have to believe that what you say is going to come to pass, you're going to have to get to where you don't say things you don't believe. You don't sit there and lie to people. You don't misrepresent things. You'll be what the Bible says. You'll swear to your own hurt and change not. You know what? (laughs) If If you want to come up to me and say, does this dress make me look fat? Don't come up to me unless you want the truth. I'll try and be polite. Like I had, I I preached on this not too long ago and a woman came up and said something like that. And she did look fat. And so what I said was, you don't want me to tell you what I, and I just avoided it. But I am not going to sit there and say, oh no, you don't look fat. When the truth is you do. That's a lie. Some of you think that's a silly, small thing, but we just do this all the time. We go up and tell people, oh, you are just the best. We love you. We just think you're wonderful. And then you go out and talk about them. You know what? Your heart is now confused. Did you or did you not mean that? And, and then the next time you come up and by a stripes, I'm healed. Your heart says, you know what? This is probably just like the other million things he said. He doesn't believe it. And nothing happens because you don't believe that what you say will come to pass. You don't speak your word. You, you say all kinds of things. You let other people say things. You don't evaluate stuff. You know, I was over in Hungary before the Berlin Wall came down in the 80s. And there were some people that were hosting us and they had been to the United States two or three times. And I was just talking to them and I said, what are some of the biggest differences that you see between Americans and Hungarians? And this person says, Americans are the most gullible people I have ever seen in my life. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, I've lived under communism. At this time, it's before the Berlin Wall came down. We've lived under communism for 70 years. We know that everything that's said is propaganda. There's a spin on. We don't trust anything. I go to America and says, you Americans, if it's advertised on television, people just think it's the truth. You swallow anything and everything. He says, Americans are the most gullible people I've ever seen. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. You need to get to where you are critical of words. Words become important. And if somebody says something that's contrary to what you believe, condemn it. And even better yet, turn it off. Don't listen to it. Don't read it. This would just about stop your television viewing, except my program. Amen. There's other good programs, but I'm saying 
It would drastically change your television habits. It would change what you read. It would change what you listen to. It would change the music that you listen to. Brothers and sisters, words are important. And Jesus is saying, you you want faith so that you can just talk to a fig tree and it dies and you never touch it? You don't do any... Would you like your words to just say, you're healed? And people instantly get healed. Speak to cancer and say, you're dead in the name of Jesus. And boom, cancer's instantly dead. Most people would like that results, but you aren't going to get it unless you start putting an emphasis on words and recognize that, man, every word that comes out of your mouth is releasing life or death. Man, that's important. Like I said, I could minister on this for a lot more time than what I'm doing. Let me point out one other thing that is crucial in this verse. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. You have to say to the mountain. You have to talk to the mountain. It's not only crucial that you use words, but it's crucial who you talk to. And here is one of the main points that I was wanting to get across tonight. Some of these religious traditions that make the word of none effect... We have not been taught the authority that a believer has. We've been taught that we are nothing, that without Jesus we are nothing, we can do nothing, and that's true, but we aren't without Jesus. We haven't been taught our position in Christ, and so the average person is, oh God, would you please heal me, if it be your will, pretty please, for Jesus' sake. And then we talk about, oh God, the doctors have said, and we start playing on his mercies and let him know how bad it is. Maybe he will feel more disposed. Uh, We get other people to whine and cry and ask God to heal us, thinking that that will motivate him. God's already healed every person. By his stripes, we were healed. Grace has already provided it. You don't even need to ask God for healing. By his stripes, you were healed. This says, whosoever will say unto the mountain. That's talking about your problem. Don't talk to God about your sickness. Talk to your sickness about God. And you know what this is implying? That you have to understand you have authority. In other words, instead of, oh God, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Oh God, I'm powerless. This is cancer. I have no power against cancer. All of that's wrong. It would be correct if all you're doing is talking about you as a physical person, but you aren't just physical. You're born again and in the spirit. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and you are not powerless. For you to approach these finances as, oh God, look at the situation. I'm just, I've lost my job. I'm powerless. God gave you power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18. And if you would get out of your unbelief and out of your pity and quit operating in fear and listening to the doubt and the death that the world is speaking and stand up and say, whatever I set this hand unto is going to prosper and go out and just lay it to something. Amen. Do something. If you would get into faith, God has already given you anointing. It is absolutely wrong for you to approach your finances like I'm powerless. Oh God, would somebody please give me a handout? Man, you are the one that has the power and the anointing of God. And you need to quit approaching God as, Oh God, I can do nothing. Would you please me? Would you stretch forth your hand? Would you do this? It's not God's turn to do it. God has already provided it. He's put the raising from the dead power on the inside of you. Ephesians 1.19. It's already there. Now, take your authority and speak to your problem, believing that God has already done it. He's put this power on the inside and it's not time for you to ask God for some. It's time for you to believe what God has done and take your authority and command your situation to change. Talk to it. Talk to things. Talk to fig trees. That's what Jesus did. And if you read the 14th verse, it says he answered the fig tree and said, you know, that means that the fig tree had already talked to him. The fig tree had said, I've got figs because it had leaves. It was communicating something. Did you know things will talk to you? Your checkbook will talk to you. Your checkbook will say, well, the word doesn't work. You're broke. (laughs) Look at all this red ink in here. It didn't work. Anything that talks to you, talk back to it. 
Talk to your checkbook. Talk to your wallet. Talk to your bills. Say, you're, you're paid in the name of Jesus. Use your words and start speaking to things. But most Christians go and say, oh God, would you please do something about this bill? God says, I gave you power. I gave you authority. Take your authority. You speak to it. I know this is different than most people think, but that's the reason most of us aren't seeing better results. I'm telling you the truth. You may not like this, but it's like when you rub a cat the wrong way, you know, and their hair stands up. The way you solve that problem is you don't quit rubbing. You just turn the cat around. Amen. (laughs) And you keep rubbing and all that hair will lay down. So if what I've said rubs you the wrong way, just repent. Amen. Turn around and this will go to feeling good. Praise the Lord. So you have to speak to the problem. That means that you understand God has already supplied it. You don't need to ask him. He's put the power on the inside of you. And now you take that authority and you speak. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 10, you heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Not very many Christians do that. Most Christians go and say, oh God, we ask you to heal this person. That's not what he told you to do. He told you to heal the person. And somebody says, I can't do that. In uh, Acts chapter 3, I think I've already quoted this verse, but Peter and John were going into the temple and they saw the man who was lame from his mother's womb and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have Give I unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they talked to the problem. And they said, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. They never did pray. They never asked God. They took the power. They believed that they had it. And they said, such as I have, give I unto you. There's not very many Christians that'll do that. I'd never say that. Well, obviously. That's the reason you're getting the real... Well, I don't have any healing power. Everybody knows it's not your power. It's God's power, but it's on the inside of you. You have authority and you got to use it. Speak to the problem. Don't talk to God about your problem. Talk to your problem about God. You know, the classic example, some of you have heard me give this, but I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year with Pastor Dean Melton. And there was a woman who, uh, I was staying at their house and she saw my video about Nikki Oshinsky, who was miraculously healed. And when I got home one day, she was sitting there crying and she says, I've got a friend who has those same symptoms as Nikki Oshinsky had. Would you pray with her? And I said, sure, I'll pray with her. And she said, well, she's on her way. She'll be here in 10 minutes. So anyway, this woman came in and she had some disease that caused all of this terrible pain. She had had it for like seven, eight years. The doctor said she'd be dead four or five years before I met her. On a scale of one to 10, her pain was a constant 11. They gave her direct injections of morphine and stuff. And the only way that she survived, she had magnets taped all over her body. And then she had magnets sewn into a blanket and she wrapped this blanket around her and somehow or another these electrical fills diminished the pain. And so she was, she was a mess. She couldn't do anything. She had been nearly invalid for three or four years. And she came over. I started talking to her. She didn't believe hardly anything. She was Presbyterian. She believed God put her, put this sickness on her to teach her something. And so the first thing I did is say, no, God didn't do that. And then she started saying, but God's getting glory out of it. And I said, no, the God gets glory out of you being healed. And I just started counting her doctrine. And after about 20 minutes, I said, now I'm going to pray for you. And so I, I grabbed her hands and she had pain all over her body. And I, I took authority and spoke to it and commanded that pain to leave and broke it and commanded the anointing to flow. And when I got through, I said, so do you have any pain? And she, she moved around. She took this blanket off and stood up and she says, no, I don't have any pain. First time in like seven or nine years that she had been totally pain free and she was completely free of pain. And she says, but I've got a burning right here on my waist. Why isn't it gone? I said, I didn't talk to burning. You didn't tell me you had a burning. You said you had pain. So I prayed again and I rebuked burning and I commanded burning to leave and she was free. So then I took these exact verses and I said, if you ever have another pain, it doesn't mean that you weren't healed. It's Satan knocking at the door. 
He has the power to bring a pain to you. And just because you have a pain doesn't mean that you lost your healing or that it's back. It's just Satan knocking at the door and how are you going to respond? If you will do the same thing I did and speak to the problem and command pain and command burning to go, it'll leave. And he may knock a few times, but just don't give in and keep believing and it'll be over. So I taught her for about 20 minutes on this. And then as she got ready to go, when she put her hand on the doorknob, she stopped and she looked over at me and she says, the burning is back. And I said, well, I've just been teaching you how to do this. And so I'm not going to pray for you. I want you to pray. And so we joined hands. And you got to remember, 45 minutes before this, this woman was a Presbyterian. <laughs> so she prayed a pretty good prayer for a Presbyterian. She said, Father, I thank you that it is your will to heal. That by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. I thank you that I am healed. I claim my healing in Jesus' name. Sorry prayer. Some of you are thinking, what's wrong with that prayer? It won't get you healed. What she said was good. That it was God's will for her to be well. By her stripes, she was healed. I thank you, I claim. All of those are nice things to say, but it is not talking to the problem. She didn't take her authority. She didn't speak to the pain. She was confessing nice things, but she did not take her authority and use it. And so I knew she wasn't healed. So I asked her, I said, so how do you feel? And she says, well, the burning is still there. What happened? And I said, you didn't do what the word says to do. And she says, what am I supposed to do? And I said, I went back to the scripture. I said, whosoever will say to the mountain, you did not talk to the burning. And she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning in the name of Jesus? And I said, yes. And she says, I'll do it. So we joined hands again and she prayed and she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And she says, it's gone. <laughs> and she was totally healed. And there are some of you that say, I believe in the name of Jesus by his stripes, I'm healed. Oh, Father, I just thank you. Oh, God, send forth your healing power. Lord, I trust you. You're saying all of these things and you have never yet spoken to what your problem is. You've never said pain in the name of Jesus, get out of my body. Eyes in Jesus' name, I command you to see. I command perfect eyesight into you. I speak to this head and I command it to quit hurting. I command my bowels to work properly. You got to talk to your, whatever your problem is. And some of you, well, I think this is a little silly. Some people probably thought it was silly for Jesus to be talking to a fig tree, but it worked. We had a guy who was a Bible college student who heard a message on this and he went to his mailbox because his mailbox had been bringing him nothing but bills and it was speaking to him. <laughs> and he, every time he got around that mailbox, that mailbox just said bad things to him. He was expecting the worst. And he got, he had his wife look out and watch to make sure that nobody was looking. And he got down on his knees. It was a communal mailbox thing. He got down on his knees and started prophesying to that mailbox. <laughs> Says, you're bringing me more money than you're bringing me bills. I command money into you. Money comes. And he talked to his mailbox. Did you know the next day he got a check for $10,000 in that mailbox? Now, I'm not saying that every one of you is going to go talk to your mailbox and get a check. But I am saying that the principle works. The principle works and it came from an unexpected source. Things will obey you. You know, when Jamie and I were first started in ministry, we were struggling and we were poor and we didn't tell people and we didn't speak forth our negativism. And my mother is about the only thing that kept us alive. She'd have us come over and feed us once a week or something. That might be the only time we'd eat during the whole week. And I'd do things for her and I'd mow her lawn and in our... Uh, house that I grew up at in Arlington, Texas, there was 23 pecan trees in that yard. And when my dad was alive, he kept them sprayed and fertilized and trimmed and did all of these things. And we could pick up three to 400 pounds of pecans per year. 
And I'd shell them and sell them and do things like this. When my dad died, my mother let those trees go bad. And one year they had bag worms. They were covered with bag worms. She hadn't fertilized them, hadn't taken care of it. And one year we had like 25 or 30 pounds of pecans is all we had out of 23 pecan trees. And so anyway, as I was mowing her lawn, I was just so thankful for God using my mother. And yet I didn't want to tell her how bad our situation was, but I wanted to bless her. So as we... As I mowed the lawn, every time I'd go around one of those trees, I'd lay hands on it and I'd just bless it. And I'd curse those bagworms and command them to die. And then I'd speak blessing over those trees. And I blessed her trees as I mowed them. Did you know that that year, without doing anything to the bagworms, without fertilizing, we had over 600 pounds of pecans that we picked up because I spoke to those trees. And some of you say, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. (laughs) I believe that the words that I speak come to pass. Words are powerful. And you could start speaking over yourself. And instead of saying, well, I'm, I'm just average. Nothing ever works for me. Who would want to hire me? Instead of speaking all of the negative things that you've ever thought and everything that's happened to you, go to the Word. Find out who you are in Christ and begin to start saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever I set my hand unto will prosper. You know, I was a loser when I was growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't worse than most, but I was just average. Everything I ever did was average. We were in a divisional football playoff. I was the center, and I centered the ball over the guy's head on a punt into the end zone, and they got a safety and won by two points. We lost the divisional playoff because I centered the ball over the guy's head. Everybody in that school wanted to kill me. I was just... I was always doing something. I was never the worst. I was never the best. It's just everything was average. I couldn't do anything. Man, when the Lord touched me, I just switched. I began to start believing I can do anything. I can do all things. And you know, I've changed now that I could guarantee you if, if I wasn't in the ministry, if worse came to worse, I'd go get a job at McDonald's. And you know what? I'd own that McDonald's in a short period of time. If I work for somebody, I can guarantee you I'd be the highest paid employee they got. I'd be the most productive employee. I've actually told employers before, if you hire me, you're going to be blessed. Totally contrary to my natural self, my, my prior to my relationship with the Lord. I mean, I have changed things. I believe and I speak and I can guarantee you I'm going to prosper. That's the reason our ministry is prospering. When everybody else is going backwards, we're going forwards. We're expanding. We're going to take on this TBN Russia. We're going to do things while everybody else is cutting back. We're expanding. Amen. This is going to be my largest year of expansion. Some, oh, I'd never say things like that. Well, then that's the reason it doesn't work for you. I'm telling you, this is, this is a powerful truth about the authority that God has given us. You need to know what authority God has given you. You need to know what you do have authority over, what you can speak to. What is your responsibility? What is God's responsibility? But I'm telling you, this is one of those things that just makes these truths about God being faithful and God being a good God just have no effect. It makes it of none effect because we don't know what part we have to play. We aren't taking our responsibility. We're letting things go weird and we're wondering, why is God letting this nation go the way it's going? He's not letting it go this way. We're letting it go this way. People aren't speaking the truth. We're so concerned with political correctness and we're so afraid we're going to offend somebody that we can't say the truth. And so we've quit speaking truth. And I guarantee you the unbelievers haven't quit speaking their doubt and unbelief. What's happening is that there is less and less godliness spoken. There is less and less God things spoken and there's more and more unbelief spoken because the believers are afraid. Man, we need, to, we need to go to speaking the truth. I'm spending millions and millions of dollars to be on television, radio, to do the things that I'm doing. And I can guarantee you that every person in here knows people that if I spend 10 times as much money, they'll never hear of me, they'll never see me on television, they'll never hear my word. You have a realm of influence that regardless of how much money I spend or any of the other ministers spend, there are people looking at you that will never hear these other people. You are the one who has the power 
and the authority to do something. And many of us are being quiet. We aren't speaking to the people at the convenience store, at the grocery store, at the gas station. We aren't talking to our neighbors. We aren't talking to the people we work with. We don't understand the power of words. We disagree with all kinds of things, but we wouldn't dare say anything because somebody might reject us. I'll tell you what, that's not getting the job done. We're going to have to learn to stand up. You're going to have to learn to speak the truth. And you're going to have to let the truth set people free. Amen. I tell you, this is major what I've talked about tonight. There's so many Christians that are, oh God, why haven't you moved? Because you haven't moved. God moves through you. Oh God, just stretch forth your hand and do miracles. The Bible says these signs will follow them that believe. They follow. That means you have to take a step first. You have to get out there and say, when somebody's saying, oh, it's just terrible. The flu's going around. Have you got the flu yet? You got to stand up and say, no, I don't get the flu. I don't believe in the flu. People will look at you like you're crazy and the door is now wide open for you to explain what's going on. And you know what? Some people will think you're crazy. Some people will reject you, but some people will say, man, I want what you've got. And we got to start speaking the truth and we got to start doing the word. Amen. Amen. I tell you, these things that I've talked about over this, I haven't explained it in as much depth as I could, but I've covered a lot of different subjects that I encourage you to please get these things. You need to go over and over and over what I've talked about. And plus, you need to take this and share it with somebody else. We could double, triple, quadruple the number of people impacted by this if you'd just take these CDs and share them with somebody. And I tell you, the body of Christ needs to hear this.